Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, this week's SEC slate reminds me of a mantra that friend of the show, Wondell Robertson, told me was a big part of his transfer from Nebraska to Kentucky. Quality over quantity. Wondell, he was referring to his touches. I, however, am using that for this week with the SEC. Only four SEC games but three of them should be excellent, including the one that Wandell himself will be in. So quality over quantity. Remember that this week. It's not Pumpkin Patch Saturday, although if you want to go, I guess you could de- definitely do that because there's no noon games in the SEC this week. But mm-hmm. the quality is there, and we're going to break down all of those different things. We're going to talk to our guy Tom Hart, who will be on the call for that Kentucky-Mississippi State game. I don't even remember what we talked about. We just pretty much just BSed about stuff for... 40 minutes so um but definitely stay tuned to that tom is always great we've got our usual picks over unders figuring it out at the end we're talking adult halloween great suggestion mm-hmm. by you sir will thank you, thank you. but first before we do all of that for like the past i don't know six years or so i have been a salsa with my morning eggs guy will do you ever do like the salsa the salsa with the eggs thing a little bit of a southwest feel I've done that before. If I told you how I made eggs, you would probably never talk to me again. But uh, yeah, big salsa eggs guy, like outside of my home. Big, big, big orderer of that. It, I, I just always think it adds a nice little little pep to it. it sometimes you get eggs that are a little bit dry. It kind of you know, takes away that, that sort of risk. Every once in a while, though, I'll spice it up with some Texas peat. Mm-hmm. The other day, I just had this moment where I said to myself, you know what? Why don't I just always have Texas peat instead of salsa with my eggs? I don't want to make any false claims here, but I'll say this. Since I made the switch from salsa to Texas Pete full-time, I've been in a better mood. Mm-hmm. I added a few inches to my vertical. <laughs> I've been, I, I knocked out a few more few more reps on the bench press that I got set up in the garage. I shaved a few seconds off my mile time. Can that be attributed entirely to my full-time switch to Texas Pete in the mornings? Yes, no doubt about it. No mm-hmm. doubt whatsoever. Don't want to make any false claims. Must be the hot sauce, as Spike Lee once said. Yeah, Spike Lee says that frequently. He still says that all the time, actually. This is the perfect time of year to load up on Texas Pete, as I always say. Not only because it's football season, but also because right now, for our listeners, you can go to TexasPete.com, get recipes, t-shirts, hats, hot sauces by the box. If you do that, 20% off your entire order with the promo code SATURDAYDOWNSOUTH. That is all one word, all caps, Saturday Down South. That's all you got to do, texaspeat.com, Saturday Down South, sauce like you mean it. All right, well, week nine SEC games. Let's start with probably the game of the week, I think, at least. Ole Miss on the road against Auburn. Auburn is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under I have, 35 Auburn points. Why 35, Will? Pretty random, right? Just doesn't uh, really make a whole lot of sense. I can't wait to see where you're going with this one, man. <laughs> that is what Auburn is averaging this year, points per game. A couple of things are worth noting there. That number drops to 23 points per game if you just include Power 5 competition, which I like to do. I like to be able to just kind of take out the FCS matchups and, and, and some of the, the group of five opponents as well. But here's what's interesting about that. Last year, every SEC team that Ole Miss faced scored more points than their season average. In other words, Ole Miss was only helping your average. (laughs) That defense was a train wreck. It's been well documented. 
So in other words, they were the get right game for your offense. This year, Ole Miss faced four SEC teams and Arkansas is the only team who scored more points above its season average. How about and that? That Arkansas, and that's 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 a crazy thing to think about because they're like, well, Bama had a lot of success against them. Bama was actually held less than to less than their average against Ole Miss, which after the way things went in 2020, nobody would have expected that. The Arkansas game was without Jake Springer as well. I need to be giving that guy some more love. Not only is he a Navy trans uh, Navy transfer, we respect the troops here, respect the troops. but always. He is that Swiss Army knife who has been so good when he's been on the field. Missed four games, but when he was on the field, Ole Miss had their three best defensive showings of the year. Louisville at Tennessee and then last Saturday against LSU. Kiffin basically came out and said, we missed that dude badly when he was out because for that defense, he's like what Matt Corral is on offense for us. Guys feed off of him. Ole Miss's defense. Swiss Navy knife was right there. Oh my God. Well, sometimes I just go too fast, and I, I'm I, I'm getting to a point or something like that, and that is why you are here to clean up my mistakes. Gosh, now I regret that big time. Old Miss's defense has gotten a lot better, and it's gotten better because of transfers like Springer, Otis Reese, the transfer from Georgia, who we talked about a lot last year. He was kind of stuck in transfer purgatory for most of the year, and then Chance Campbell, the Maryland transfer. Reese is the only guy in that group who played for Old Miss last year and again only a few games that we're talking about at least he played a few games unlike Springer who had to sit the crazy thing is Ole Miss's defense with Springer against the 2021 version of Bo Nix is a sneaky good matchup it's kind of good right Mm -hmm. Bo Nix has now had two how do you like me now type of games LSU and Arkansas it's it's crazy but it's true and nobody would have predicted it after georgia state and the way that that went and if he beats ole miss a top 10 team it would be three how do you like me now games for bo nix i i think the ole miss game plan will be extremely similar to what we saw against lsu where chance campbell just spied max johnson and once that happened will as an lsu fan how frustrating was that knowing that chance campbell was just going to make every single play it wasn't great connor it wasn't great <laughs> Sorry, we didn't need to hark back to that. I didn't come here um, with violence in mind. We, di- we didn't need to go there. There's got to be a little, a little smattering, just like the Texas Peak, a little bit of Salt Bay of violence. Exactly. <laughs> salt Bay of violence. We're going to have to save that one for later. I know Mike Bobo, he's not about the up-tempo life, but if I'm Auburn, I try and rotate my backs in and out, try to follow the game plan that worked so well for Arkansas against Ole Miss. I'm really tempted to pick Auburn coming off the bye especially if Matt Corral is at less than 100%. Maybe the question is, how much of Matt Corral does Ole Miss need? Like, yeah, you've got the number one service academy, non-service academy rushing attack in America. Again, we respect the troops. We love Snoop Connor on this podcast, even though he spells his last name wrong. But the question is, 85% version of Matt Corral, would that be good enough to go on the road and beat a, a good Auburn team, a confident Auburn team? I think so. Just barely. I think we see a late Ole Miss defensive stop to close this one out, and it's like a 28 to 27 type of game. So I'm going to say not only does Ole Miss cover as a slight road dog, but they win outright. Will, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's so hard to pick a game like this, man. It's so hard. I mean, yeah, you would think that based on kind of the versatility that Ole Miss has been showing lately, 
We really talked about last week that we love to see that. It's not just a Matt Corral-centric offense. And something like that, you know, really helps you with the voters, helps you with, you know, national perception to where it's not, oh, if we shut this guy down, their offense is dead. I think that they're really firing on all cylinders and, and hitting their stride in a great way. And then on the flip side, I mean, Connor, I'm looking at this slate right now, and it's giving me flashbacks to last Halloween weekend where I had to go trick-or-treating dressed as a shark after watching Bo Nix just shred the LSU Tigers. It was a bottom five, <laughs> bottom five Halloween experience in my life. I literally was like, oh, our game started. It was an early game. I was like, oh, this is going to be tough because I'm going to have to be watching this game while we're trick-or-treating. Boy, was that game over after like a quarter, if, if that. Like I was just like, okay, cool. Good thing I got plans today. See you guys later. Uh, so point being like, you just never know what you're going to get with Bo Nix. I hate that that's like not in like not gripping analysis, but the thing about Bo Nix too, and this is kind of Auburn in general, is that as you start kind of buying the hype, usually the hype tends to die off. So I would say like this is a result that I would actually be really shocked if Auburn actually pulled this one off. Not even because of Auburn, but because of Ole Miss and because of the way that Lane is just, well, Levy, our, our friend of the program, Levy, is calling plays uh, out of his mind right now. And I think that, you know, if this is a, if this is a shootout, you know, Auburn's had their, their, their share of shootouts. Now, those have been against teams that we deem to be sorry, Akron and the like. But if, if this is going to be more of a shootout, you, you got to love Lane. And, and you got to feel like that's, that's where you're going there. Ole Miss offense banged up, defense getting healthier. How does Auburn test that secondary? Can they turn to Demetrius Robertson, who has been much better for them than probably what I was expecting? But can he have this game against the top 25 team? Historically, he has struggled in those moments, and he can't get that separation over the top. Now, he had a big game against Arkansas, a big game without Jalen Catalan on the back end. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss looks like it's healthy in that defensive backfield. Is Bonix going to still be willing to take some of those chances downfield? That's a, an interesting question going forward. But yeah, this might be the most even top twenty-five game we've seen in the SEC this year. I don't, I don't know what what the other what the other game for that would probably be going into it. Going maybe, into it, yeah. Maybe Ole Miss and Arkansas, or maybe you know we thought Arkansas Auburn was going to be really competitive too. Like something kind of like that would be the, 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 the most even where you could really see this playing out in a lot of different ways. And I, I think that if you're, if you're Ole Miss in this one, getting off to a lead on the road like that in Jordan-Hare, atmosphere is going to be probably really excellent. And I would expect an Auburn team that's feeling a lot more confident that's still playing for a New Year's Six Bowl. Both these teams are playing for New Year's Six Bowls in this one. And I did not think that Auburn, who I had projected at 5-7, and seven, would be at this place going into Halloween weekend. But, you know. Here we are. I was you know wrong. what we say? Very, very Never wrong. doubt Auburn. That's why I haven't said a single Ever. slanderous word about Bo Nix because I know as soon as I start doubting Bo Nix, he's going to throw for like five touchdowns and everyone's going to be like, well, Will, wrong again. Because guess what? I did that <laughs> against Arkansas. I really said, you know, Arkansas is going to beat this team's brains in. And boy, did one team get their brains beaten in. So yeah, like I said, it's just, it's it's that time of the year. It's spooky season, as you know. It's kind of like Beetlejuice. Yes. You don't want to say Bo Nix's name enough or, or a lot. It, <laughs> he might just appear behind you and just, just stiff arm you to the ground. This is going to be one of those games, too, where I'm like, uh, don't get me wrong. I am so fired up to be in Jacksonville this weekend, and it's going to be great. But this is definitely one of those games where I kind of wish you're just like at home on your couch. You're able to consume every sort of angle that's going into it because I want to be able to watch this from start to finish, which start to finish, which I'm going to be able to, you know, I'll, I'll have it on my computers. I'm, I'm writing and doing stuff. But, yeah, it should be a very, very good one at Jordan Hare this weekend. Mm-hmm. Maybe a game that's not quite on that level. Uh, definitely isn't, but I promise I'm going to give you something that's worth keeping in mind with this. 
Mizzou is a 15 and a half point favorite on the road, Vandy. The over-under I have, 23,717 in paid attendance. Sound random? <laughs> it's never random. Never. I was curious about paid attendance at each Vandy home game. And remember, that's not actual fans at the crowd. That's just tickets sold, which is not always an accurate representation of fans actually in the seats. Real quick, Vandy needs to do that thing that Kansas did last weekend and just do the, if you hear the sound of my voice, come to the game thing. Like just to be, especially that this is, this is a middle of the day game, but like a night game where it's like, hey guys, just after, after eight or 9 PM, just come on in. And I feel like that would be a fun time. You know, paid attendance is a, I don't know who's paying to see a Vandy game at this juncture. I'm not being mean, but, you know, let's get that community involved, man. Let's all have some fun together. They had $1 tickets for the, for the UConn game. <laughs> they couldn't give them away. I mean, you got to link your PayPal like, and everything, man. Come on. This is a, a co-op. We're all getting through Vandy together. We will we'll give everybody vouchers to a future Vandy football game if you just come to this one. They, just, they could just keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, here's your ticket for 2025. Future us is going to have to worry about that eventually, but current us doesn't really care about that. Exactly. So Vandy has played five home games. They announced between 21,124 fans and 22,036 fans every game besides Georgia. Suspicious. Yes, uh, a little bit. The Georgia game, by the way, had 32,178 fans for paid attendance. The average number of fans for Vandy home games is 23,717, hence are over-under. We can't count 2020 because of COVID, um, but Duke had the worst Power 5 attendance in 2019 at 25,811 fans per home game. Kansas, funny you should mention them, in 2018, they had the lowest in recent memory. They had the lowest in that year by a long shot at 19,424 fans of paid attendance per home game. I thought about actually doing the entire playoff era. And I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna keep going back, looking at old attendance numbers, see if I can figure this out. And then I got really depressed, but I'll just say this. I didn't look up all that stuff. I did crunch some numbers for this though. Vandy has, this game against Mizzou and then Kentucky. Those fan bases are loyal. I'm not saying Mizzou fans, Kentucky fans, I'm not trying to discount you or anything like that, mm-hmm. but they're not giving Vandy that 10,000 fan bump like Georgia fans did. They're just not. Even if Vandy averaged 30,000 fans for those final two home games, which they won't, it would still fall short of Duke's 25,811 average paid attendance in 2019, meaning that Vandy in all likelihood is going to have the worst Power 5 attendance for any program since Kansas in 2018. You learned something today, and you learned it by listening to a breakdown of Mizzou and Vandy. Um, Only one other thing I want to say about this game. I predicted Vandy to win this game in the preseason, and I'm sticking with it. Um, with Michael Wright hopefully getting the start at quarterback because um, I think that gives them the best chance to run the ball. Mizzou fans blasted me for that prediction in the preseason, and I think they're even kind of looking at this game now being like, well, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> no idea how this is going to go. Mizzou, though, here's a good, th- here's good stat for Mizzou fans. I know we've ripped on the run defense. They no longer have the worst run defense in FBS. Shout out to Arkansas State. Arkansas State, huh? Mm-hmm. Who's their head coach, Connor? Not Blake Anderson. <laughs> Isn't that where Butch is? 
Oh, my God. Yeah, it is Butch. Oh, my gosh. I have forgotten this. SEC East legend. SEC oh my East gosh, legend. Thank you, Will. Butch Jones is now. So no matter where you are, especially if you're a Tennessee fan, just think to yourself, at least we're not Butch Jones today. You are cleaning up all my messes today. What a what a brain fart. I can't ever forget where and what Butch is doing if he's an intern or a head coach at some place. Gosh, for shame, Connor. I got to be better. I got to be more on top of my stuff. Terry Mahajer, no longer the athletic director at Arkansas State because he's an athletic director at UCF there. Mm-hmm. I helped myself out on that. Um, yeah, if you're, if you're attending this game, okay. You are loyal. <laughs> you are very, very loyal. Uh, don't, don't know if there's going to be a ton of, ton of eyeballs on this one. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just going to pick Vandy to win outright. We're just going to go for it. This All is right. a game, dog, that like both teams could have some fun. That's the thing, like, in a game like this, like, I don't like to see, like, a Georgia-Vandy type situation where one team just gets their skull beaten. I want to see, like, two flawed teams doing their best, struggling together, you know what I'm saying? And, like, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I get it, but this doesn't have the same sort of feel as, like, Vandy and UConn. Right. Because Tyler Brady's probably going to have himself a day. All yeah. Right? Like, sorry, I, I should have discounted Tyler Beatty, Connor Basilak, who actually spells his name right. They, they should be able to have success against Vandy's off against Vandy's defense. All right, like I, I don't want to discount that, but it's not the same level of awful that UConn Vandy was. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, like if both of these fan bases, they can have a good day. You know what I'm saying? They could each get an easy, you know, couple hundred yards of offense, start to feel good, start to tell themselves, you know, hey, you know, we're good today. We're getting, we're executing our game plan. That's what you want to see in most football games. Is both teams executing their game plan? That seems hopefully like what we'll see this weekend. I just want to see both teams have fun. Exact, exactly. Is that too much to ask? Yeah. Let's go to Kentucky and Mississippi State. Number twelve, Kentucky is a one and a half point favorite on the road in Stark Vegas. The over under I have one and a half. Mike Leach back at Kentucky flashbacks. Now I might have had some inside information on this, and you'll hear. Tom Hart on the call, he might have hinted at a certain Mike Leach uh, reference to his days back in Lexington that they're definitely going to bring up. So the question is, will they have one more additional one after that? Mm -hmm. But people always forget, you know, he got the air raid going there with Hal Mummy. No, they don't actually forget that. (laughs) Speaking of that, if you haven't seen Tim Couch lately, Will, have you seen Tim Couch lately? Can't say I have, Connor. Dude is shredded. I mean, like shredded our guy cash went fishing with him last year and cash cash is a big dude all right like and he's he's only i i think he's lost something like 20 25 pounds but he looks like he's gained a lot of lean muscle during that time and so cash went fishing with tim couch i'm seeing your face right now reacting to this photo and with all due respect to cash because he has stayed in shape he didn't just like let himself go tim couch looked like the linebacker with those guys side by side. He's huge. He is built like a tank right now. Everybody at home, go Google Tim Couch and find the most current picture you possibly can because, yeah, he's built like a, an absolute tank. Underrated all time. This, this is Tim player. This is Tim Futon. It's hard to call him Tim Couch. He's a double sized bed right now. <laughs> Tim Mac Truck, man. Yes, sir. Not messing around. Anyways, weird, weird line for this one because it opened with Mississippi State as a two point favorite and has since moved in favor of Kentucky. But while that, that, that I realize that isn't everything, think, think about that. Kentucky, we would all agree, second best team in the East. Mm-hmm. Pretty undisputed at this point, especially after the way that they played against Georgia. Mm-hmm. 
Mississippi State, I think most people outside of Starkville would probably say is the worst team in the West, right? I sure hope so. I mean, they lost at home to LSU, so <laughs> unless... I mean, me, uh, the Arkansas, no, even even Arkansas, I would still say is better than, than Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. So that that dynamic with the divisions, that's, that's wild to think about. The worst team in the West could be favored against the second best team in the East. And that just kind of shows you the, the power dynamic, or at least what the odds makers think of that. Mark Stoops 0-4 in Starkville in his career. Maybe that factored into that line, but... On the contrary, his team won 24-2 against Mike Leach last year. Cats had 157 yards of offense, but when you pick off six passes, you can win a game Mm -hmm. (laughs) 24-2. That game was so bad. This year, Kentucky's not getting held to 157 yards of offense. Not going to happen. We we love Zach Garnett. This is a 3-3-5 podcast through and through. Vehemently. But 100%. Coming off a of bye week, not so terrible showing against Georgia. I think Will Levis and Wondell Robinson have themselves a night. This matchup is interesting because Martin Emerson, Emmanuel Forbes, both very, very good corners. They're excellent. But they've played a combined seven snaps in the slot this year. That's it. Colin Duncan is the guy who's going to be primarily, I would assume, on Wondell if they're doing any sort of man coverage like that. But we'll we'll kind of wait and see how that how Zach Garnett wants to break that down. I, I bet that we're going to see probably I would imagine we're going to have to see at some point one of those two guys Forbes or Emerson on Wandale if he's the only guy that's getting open. Hopefully we're going to see Josh Lee at his full capacity in this game. But the key to this game for me, besides the whole obvious like hey can. Mississippi State actually block a three-man pass rush, which I would expect to see a lot of from Kentucky because that worked really well last year. But the key, how does Will Levis pick up those blitzes that Zach Arnett is going to inevitably send? Mm-hmm. Does it every time? Doesn't care if you're Bryce Young, doesn't care if you're Zach Galzada, he's sending blitzes, he's sending pressure. It's just a matter of whether or not you can get rid of the football. It's different than Georgia because Zach Arnett is one of those coordinators who will send six and then force you to make quick decisions. We saw Max Johnson succeed in that type of situation where if you've got a go-to guy like a Keishon Butte who can go up and make a play in man coverage, you're golden. I think Levis turns to Wandale a lot in this one. Double-digit catches in this game for him, and he busts through a tackle on at least one for one of these like 50, 60-yard touchdowns. Give me the Cats to win and cover 28 to 24. Did all of that make sense? Yes. No. As you started talking, or like as you kind of explained that, I bought more and more into Kentucky in this one because, like you said, it's like you can have outside corners, but being like a, a nickel and covering the slot is like so different than being like a traditional X Y type of corner. And a guy like Juan Dale, he's going to do things that no one else in the SEC is really going to do. So it's like you could have these athletes, but like you said, if you're sending pressure, number one, you're putting your DBs in disadvantageous situations. After, you know, three, four seconds where the, if the pressure doesn't get home immediately, then they got to make decisions very quickly. And if you have a guy like Wandale who makes you make lots of decisions, and if you guess wrong slightly or slightly late, he's gonzo. Yeah, I mean, that, that type of a defense is weirdly, like an aggressive defense, is exactly where a guy like that would just totally eat. Unless they had a guy who's just like an eraser. You know, I'm talking about a guy that's just like, okay, boom, like, we can just, like, you can follow him around, but that's really not this scheme. It's a lot of, like, 
I hate to say help defense because it's more of a basketball term, but yeah, it, it's it's kind of like here's what we're going to do. We're not really going to adjust to you, and that's you know it's it's five six yard underneath routes over and over again. Then once he catches it, got tackle him, <laughs> and then once once you got tackle him, then you know we're in hell at that point. We're, if you're doing that, you know, let's say six to eight times a game, there's going to be two or three times where you just can't tackle him. I think Wandell will also appreciate having a bye week after Georgia. Some of those hits he was taking in that game, man, that kid, he took a beating. And even on that last touchdown where he barely gets into the end zone and they dial up a little screen for him, and, man, that 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 probably wasn't um, exactly the best he's felt on a, a Sunday after a game. Most people don't feel great on a Sunday after a game against the Georgia defense. So I think he'll he'll be a little bit fresher. And this is one of the things we talked about with Will, with Will Levis, though. And I, I don't want to just entirely discount the Mississippi State offense, who looked great, albeit against Mandy last week. But one of the things we talked about with Will Levis and – the Joe Burrow comp, and not that he's going to take off like Joe Burrow, but the 2018 Joe Burrow comp, because Joe Burrow enrolled over the summer. Mm-hmm. All right, Will Levis enrolls at Kentucky over the summer. Didn't get that whole spring session. You're learning a new offense. You're trying to get on the same page as a lot of these new pieces. And yeah, you've got that foundation in place, but what does it look like in the latter half of the year? Joe Burrow became a much better quarterback down the stretch in 2018. And all the statistical knocks that we had on him are like, oh, he's not getting these touchdown passes, blah, blah, blah. It looks a little bit like they don't really trust him a ton just yet. I think Will Levis has one of these kind of late season surges, especially against some weaker competition down the stretch, where you really see him blossom in this offense. And I thought we saw shades of that against Georgia, but it's just difficult for anybody to look good against Georgia, especially when they don't miss a tackle. All right, let's talk about those dogs. They're 14 and a half point favorites against Florida in Jacksonville. The world's largest outdoor cocktail party over under that I have. Pretty obvious one. And maybe I was a little, this might not be great, but I have three and a half quarterbacks who take a snap in the first three quarters. That's total. So basically, we're going to see JT Daniels in this game because we know Florida's playing two quarterbacks. Right. We know it. Kirby insists that they're going to play two quarterbacks. We'll see. We'll see. Because I feel like Stetson Bennett's starting this football game. I feel like Anthony Richardson has a decent chance to start this football game. Or it could be like Emory Jones plays the first two series, they get no points, and then Anthony Richardson comes in. But Dan Mullen keeps saying it's not about who starts, it's about who finishes. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't even prepared. I'm sorry. The Lou Williams quote was just not what I was. Okay, continue. If you're down 21 points, does it matter who finishes? Does it? I don't know. Trying to be nice here, Connor. So. I'm trying to be nice too. And look, I I like what Florida has turned into from a, a running game standpoint. They have a lot of different ways that that they can beat you. And, and I think that seeing Pierce and seeing Malik Davis and, and seeing Naquan Wright and seeing these quarterbacks and the way that they've run the football. It is effective, and they've done some things the last couple of weeks coming off Kentucky, even though we've been talking about the losses and how bad it's been, where you've actually sat there and been like, wow, you know, I don't know if this team could have done those things running the football last year. And that's, that's all well and good. The problem is that what happens if this team falls behind and it's Emory Jones is doing? That's, that's what we're all waiting to happen. We're waiting for that shoe to fall with Dan Mullen because this is the time where he needs to be able to make that that decision. And 
it's a decision that I don't even want to say is particularly difficult, but mm-hmm. we've seen coaches in college football make that difficult decision. Look at Lincoln Riley. Guy yeah. benches Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler comes in as the number one overall pick in all these mock drafts, and he says in the middle of the year, you know what, I don't care that we're undefeated. This isn't good enough. You're not running the offense the way that it's supposed to be run. Turns to Caleb Williams. Maybe it's the thing that saves their playoff chances. What I think is relevant for this game is that Georgia's defense, if Emory Jones starts making mistakes, this is going to get out of hand in a hurry. In a hurry. Now, they'll probably force Anthony Richardson into mistakes as well. And I'm not saying that Anthony Richardson is a mistake-free quarterback. LSU last week, they, they forced him into some, some tough spots. But the problem with the optics of this is that Dan Mullen is digging his own grave if he insists on not giving Richardson just the keys to the car. Just, just say go. Just take our game plan and just go. If you make a mistake, whatever, we just need to see you and what this offense is capable of with you getting the full reps in this offense. Is that too much to ask, Will? Is that too much? Yeah, I mean, the thing about Dan Mullen, as we've talked about, is that he is a hope merchant. He's a person who sells hope out of a, you know, jacket at every turn. And if you look at, like, you know, the last time, you know, against LSU, obviously Emory had a bad pick that got returned. It was a pick six. I don't think either of, um, I don't think either of Richardson's picks were particularly good either. That one was, the first one was bad. And the second one was a game-losing pick. But... Florida fans, every other person, myself included, watching, felt so much more hopeful watching Richardson play football because he was able to get the offense going because he's so dynamic. So kind of that's the point you're making is if a quarterback is going to make mistakes, you would rather it be the quarterback that has a future, that isn't there yet, that you can hope they learn from these mistakes. Because it's one thing to have, you know what I'm saying, a young guy come out there, sling it. You love to see that from a young guy, having confidence. But if you're Emory and you're in year 12 of this offense and you still don't get it, it's like... What's the point of ever playing you again? You're not going to be here for another, you know what I'm saying? Like, what's the goal in allowing you to work this out? Having that fear that a guy is capable of going off and doing anything at a given point, you have with Anthony Richardson, you don't have with Emory Jones. It's been well documented. And at this point in the season, I don't really think that's going to change. But mm-hmm. I threw out a poll during that LSU game last week where I said, which quarterback would you most want to like have, lead a late touchdown driver? I can't remember the, way, the exact way that I phrased it, but it was Anthony Richardson, Max Johnson, KJ Jefferson, Bo Nix. Who won? Who was, who was the majority of that group, do you think? Probably Richardson, right? Yep, exactly. And it, and it wasn't like some 70% thing where like everybody else was at like 10% or something. It was still telling because... Fans, as we watch these games, we think about what's the absolute worst scenario that can happen. And Georgia fans haven't really seen that worst-case scenario with this defense very much. If their defense steps on the field, they feel really, really good, like they're going to be able to get off in three plays. And what's the thing that can actually change that, that mindset, that confidence level that Georgia has had, a, a chink in the armor, something to make you realize, oh, maybe we are a little bit more mortal, and maybe you start to doubt yourself in some of these moments. And Anthony Richardson is the best opportunity for that. On the Georgia side, I'm going to assume that Stetson's still the guy. And maybe we, maybe we see a little bit of JT Daniels in the second quarter. Maybe Kirby takes a page out of Mullen's playbook and brings him in there for some of these random series. And you're just like, all right, well, the offense was rolling. You didn't really need to do that. Maybe you're doing that because of transfer portal issues. I don't know. Whatever the case. 
I said after the Kentucky win that I had changed my tune on that. And as crazy as it sounds, even if I were Kirby, I would start Stetson in this game. And I would trust the offensive identity that's been established. And I'd have faith that Todd Munkin is going to put him in the right spots to make plays. This is a redemption game for Stetson Bennett. Because this was a game last year where I know he gets hurt in it. But it's still the game that he lost his job. And it's the game where you realize this thing has gone as far as it can possibly go. Different storyline. A storyline that's gained a little bit of momentum in the last, oh, I'd say two weeks. This has really picked up some steam. Potential Heisman moment for one Jordan Davis in this game. Let's go. Can it happen? Can it happen? Because he was hurt in this game last year, had an elbow injury. Um, Imagine being the human being to hurt Jordan Davis. (laughs) <laughs> top of the resume type stuff right there you gotta say. shoot him yeah. like, <laughs> you can't hurt him with your hands you gotta have like some brass knuckle, some type of weapon I, I couldn't imagine if you were like Will your goal is to hurt Jordan Davis you have three days I just don't know if I could do it I, I, I would quit I, I would just quit <laughs> there, there's no way anybody should be able to do that but Jordan Davis not gonna win the Heisman alright I'm not saying it's gonna happen He's at 100 to 1 right now in the odds on FanDuel. But we've never seen a pure defensive player win the award. Because remember, Charles Woodson had to play offense to steal it from Peyton Manning, as Tennessee fans would tell you. <laughs> but there's, there's this interesting intersection that we're at in college football right now. And it's like, I don't want to say it's like old school versus new school. Because in so many ways, Jordan Davis feels like an old school type of player. Mm-hmm. But it's this hey, who's looking at the box score versus who's just watching football and who's right. watching impact and what's you know expected points added when this player's in the field and, and how is he helping out? Like Jordan Davis says that the thing that he always pays attention to most is when he gets his grades on Sunday. Like the, the team individual grades, not just like the, you know, the PFF stuff, but like when he gets those team, those team grades, how much was he freeing guys up? How much was he doing this? How much was he doing that? And, you know, I, I think that, those who have watched Jordan Davis, and I said this in a video that we did for, um, go subscribe to the Saturday Down South YouTube channel, by the way. Um, I, I made the comparison. I'm like, you know, if somebody tells me that they don't like Chris Stapleton, I just assume that they haven't listened to Chris Stapleton. Mm-hmm. If someone tells me that they don't think Jordan Davis should be in the Heisman conversation, I'm just going to assume that they haven't watched Jordan Davis play football. Yeah. It's pretty simple. Because two to three times every single game, he's going to do something to make you just go, Wow. That is a freak of nature, and if he is the best player on the best defense in college football, potentially the best defense in the 21st century, they're only allowing 5.5 points per game, 5.6 points per game. It's not the 6.6 number that keeps getting thrown out there. People keep forgetting to take away the UAB pick six. Let it be known that they're actually averaging less points than what the numbers show. Mm -hmm. But if he's on a historically good defense, can that potentially happen for him? Can that conversation get more interesting Will, am I crazy for thinking that a big spotlight game for that discussion is on the table for Jordan Davis? Yeah, I think that it's really like strength on strength when you talk about Florida's rush offense uh, versus Jordan Davis specifically and and Georgia's you know rush defense. Because we've talked about it that Georgia's back end is not as great as it has been in previous years, but the front end of their defense is so good. And if you're a Georgia fan or a Dan Mullen hater, this is the dream matchup. Because at the end of the day, they're not going to be able to gimmick Georgia into 
falling for stuff. You know, those linebackers have super high IQ. The front can get pressure with two guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, if they, they don't need to blitz. They don't need to do anything. They can sit there. And the big thing about this Georgia defense, and it's something that I've keyed in on and we've talked about a lot, they have so much trust in one another. You know, last year's Georgia defense was so discombobulated. They had lost you know, star safety. Jordan Davis wasn't there. They had lost so many guys, and, and they just weren't all on the same page. Obviously, Stetson came in, and it was just the team never got on the same page. And if that was going to happen to Georgia, it would have been during the Clemson game, as we talked about. But starting with that type of a performance against a team that at the time we thought was great, and then just getting a little bit better every week, you know, I don't think the trickery is going to work. Because to, 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 to fool a team... It has to be a lack of trust. It has to be a lack of, oh, I need to overperform. I need to get out of my lane and do make someone, like, I need to make a play because I don't trust the next guy to make a play. And all we've seen, you talk about Wandale, where it's like, all right, well, they just knew they had to neutralize him and make him feel pain. And it's like, that's what it's going to be, you know, for Florida's rush offense. So I'd flip that around and, and, and say, let me ask you this question. Knowing what we know now, right, everything that's happened since, let's take a look back at the Alabama-Florida game. Now, obviously, Florida's defense, or sorry, Alabama's defense isn't what Georgia's is. I'm not saying that Alabama's offense is obviously a little bit better than Georgia's, whatever. They're not similar teams, but in terms of quality of athlete, quality of competition, that was seen as a breakout game for Emory Jones. And everything has kind of backslid since then. So what do you think in that game that Mullen was able to get him going on that he can replicate against Georgia? Do you think that that is a little bit of a comparison, or do you think that that ship has kind of sailed? I think Alabama's defense was still figuring some things out. <laughs> okay. I look back on that, and when when you look at the way that Mullen called plays, and he stopped dialing up some of these downfield chances, and he had tight ends disguised as blockers who would then go out into the flat and little dump-off passes from Ray Jones, and he really simplified things in that football game when they went to the air. When they ran the ball, they had an Alabama team that, quite frankly, didn't look like it was quite ready for that just yet. Right. It didn't really look like it was ready for that type of game, hadn't played in that type of game, maybe a little bit of underestimating Florida's offensive line. And so maybe that was part of it, and first road game, something like that, that, that gets factored into it. But... I think that's a lot more difficult to replicate against Georgia. And I, I think Georgia's defense significantly better than Alabama's even. And right. even though Alabama has has guys who will end up as All-Americans at, at season's end, Will Anderson being the big one, but I still think that Georgia's defense is more disciplined. And if, Al, if Florida all of a sudden wanted to play that type of football game, I don't think it works. I just don't. And I don't see them having some of the, 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 the success in the ground game that, that Alabama really struggled against in that game in Gainesville. So, and I hate to do like the sports radio, like, you know, couch coach type of thing, but if you're Mullen in this game, do you try to establish the run early? Or do you think they need to invert their game plan and go like, okay, boom, we can't run on this team. We're just going to catch them off guard and then try to get the run in later. Like, do you think it's even worth going, okay, this is our identity. We got to match strength on strength. Quick hitting passes. <laughs> I, I try and do that. I really yeah. would. I, I, I wouldn't want to. I would not want to run the football against them. I just wouldn't. And I know that's the identity of your team. That's the strength. But can you get some of the, you know, like last year, getting some of the running backs and tight ends involved the way that they were able to against Georgia, albeit against a very different Georgia defense? I think that's a better plan of success than saying, you know, what we should do is we should try and run the ball right at Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter and Devontae Wyatt and see how that works out. Because if they push, when they push that line of scrimmage back and you're all of a sudden looking at third and 12, you're like, 
well, that was stupid that we just had two run plays to start off and we dug ourselves this hole for Emory Jones to now have third and 12 when if you're looking at third and four, a little bit of a different scenario. If you're getting, even if it's only, you know, three and four yard gains in the passing game, I think that's a better plan to try and give them a little bit something different that they haven't quite seen. I know Kentucky tried to do that a little bit and everybody saw the clip that went viral of Nicobe Dean slipping through the three offensive linemen and blowing up that screenplay against Chris Rodriguez that had worked earlier in the game a little bit. Yeah. But that's that's what George is capable of. So, man, I, there's no blueprint. I'm not like <laughs> I'm not really saying this with any sort of confidence, but yeah, if that was if if I was Mullen, that's that's probably what I do. He's going to have some trickeration in this game. Maybe we're going to see a Chris Doring uh, type of uh, receiver pass in this game or, or something like that. You have to, right? Yeah. And I mean, you got to know too, like, you know, I've never said this before. Like, I promise you, this is the game that like Todd Grantham coaching for his job. Because at the end of the day, yeah, if, they, oh, go, 100%. if yep. they go play Georgia in Georgia's offense, which again, not slandering Georgia, they're a great team, but they're not this dynamic offense. They're a field position team. They're a defense team. If they lose like 42 to 10, and the end result was that Florida was just getting pushed around on defense and they were making things easy for Stetson Bennett. I mean, honestly, that's the best thing Florida can do to win this game is to play good defense and to, to own that identity and be like, all right, look, maybe this is your front. Maybe you, you're a great run-stopping team. We're going we're gonna to dick and dunk and figure that out. We can't give up 30, 40 points to Stetson Bennett. Like, does it matter? If they, can, if they can, you know, like win the turnover battle, because the thing about Georgia, like you said, once they get going, they're gone. They're like a train. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, if they... If Florida's offense, you know, gets a three and out going and then Georgia scores, then like you said, they're playing from behind. I really do think this is like the Todd Grantham game where you look at, okay, boom, his whole resume to this point has been good. It's been bad. It's been up and down, but it's like if he comes out and, and, and at least limits this, this Georgia offense in a win, that's another week or another season even that Dan Miller can say, see, this guy's worth what he's, what he's given us. He took this undermanned Florida defense against this great Georgia offense and made this a game. But if not, it's going to be a lot of trends going in the same direction. I'll just say that. So if you're a Florida fan, you should hope to get blown out in this game if you're going to lose. <laughs> if you know you're going to lose, just hope to get blown out and hope that Todd Grantham doesn't get any sort of momentum going in his favor to keep his job at season's end. The one other stat worth remembering, we always bring it up with Mullen, but totally this Georgia team is <laughs> <laughs> going to be a tough time for Florida to win that battle. <laughs> the stat that always gets brought up, 2-28. and 28 against teams that finish in the AP Top 10. This Georgia team is finishing in the AP Top 10. I'm just going to go on record, say that right now. Well, so is Top Alabama. Can we go ahead and call it 2-29? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. So is Kentucky. We're going to call it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we don't know that definitively. Um, we'll wait and see on that. Adam Stockton, big believer that they will finish in the Top 10. Uh, that's that's the one of the, the things that I think will be brought up if... Florida struggles in this game and if it's another another moment in which you see all right that's that's their ceiling and that's our floor if this is shades of 2017 all over again which was the last game Jim McElwain coached at Florida before the death threats did him in that wouldn't be great for Dan Mullen oh gosh um, I remember that game that was just well it felt like you know 10 yards of carry oh. for Georgia it was just boom boom, boom. Was that was a tough down. game to watch yeah I'm pumped to be at this one Looking forward to spending some time with my buddy Candler and hopefully seeing a few other friends while I'm there. Should be a great atmosphere, even in a year like this, where you know this is the first time that Florida hasn't that both teams haven't been in the top ten together since the 2017 game. Mm -hmm. But I still think the atmosphere will be second to none in Florida. Maybe Florida fans will have that nothing to lose type of type of attitude. All right, well, lock of the week. Oh boy. 
as I said the other day, I had the right idea by saying that Iowa State would knock off unbeaten Oklahoma State, but the Cyclones did not quite cover. I think we're at five and four on the year. Five mm-hmm. and four. About to be six and four. That's all that matters. Okay. I'm going back to old reliable here. We're rolling with Joe Moorhead. Oh boy. Money in the bank. He is back on the sidelines for the Ducks, thankfully, um, in both home and road games as well. Joe seems to be in good spirits after a, a health scare. Don't know the, the ins and outs of what exactly went on, but certainly thinking of him, thinking of his family right now. Mm-hmm. Oregon, minus 23 and a half at home against Colorado. A lot of points to give, right? Uh, Oregon's been kind of struggling a little bit lately. The only Power 5 offense is worse than Colorado. Arizona and Vandy. That's it. Okay. Man. <laughs> That's pretty bad company right there. I watched a Marvin Leal and that Texas A&M defensive line just dismantle Colorado. Kayvon Thibodeau, yeah, he's gonna be able to do the same thing. People are saying he's good. Confirmed good, yes. I think Oregon also a traitor to the Cajun people. Way. True. <laughs> yes, people forget that. Yeah, he went all the way out to out to Eugene. Very very surprising move. I remember back back when that first. When that first was reported, we're like, oh, well, surely he won't stay committed to Oregon. Like, you know, let's, come on. <laughs> hey, That's it's worked out for him, though. No, I'm just kidding. Good good for him. But, yeah. Future number one overall pick, possibly. Yeah. I am pre-mad about Oregon being ranked lower than Ohio State in the first playoff rankings that will come out next Tuesday night. Both one-loss teams, Oregon won in Columbus, in case you haven't forgot, or in case you somehow forgot, Oregon was without two of their, their two best defensive players, Thibodeau being one of them. Mm-hmm. Um Ohio State, meanwhile, hasn't faced a soul yet, and people are, for whatever reason, crowning them. I I know it, though. The Buckeyes are going to be ranked ahead of Oregon. I'm going to be very, very mad about it. I'm going to be... I'll, I'll rant about it next week on the pod. I know <laughs> that... I know Oregon hasn't been blowing teams out a lot lately, but Moorhead feeling a little bit better. I think he dials up a gem. A Colorado team that has one FBS win, and it came against 0-7 Arizona. They get run off the field. Oregon wins big. Boom. Well, am I am I am I reeling for my lock of the weeks right now? Um, I think you're doing fine. I think the one last week is a little bit a uh, little bit bold. Ambitious. I would just say, you know, man, yeah. don't don't get in your head, man. Just just go with it. We don't need you know, ten ten picks. We gotta keep it to one. I like that you're getting you know outside of the SEC and stretching <laughs> the boundaries there. I'm sure that if we had just done SEC lock of the week, the record would be a little bit better. But see, that's what life is about: growth, expanding horizons. You know, previewing some uh, some Pac-12 after dark. So we love to see that. <laughs> All right, let's go to my interview with our good friend Tom Hart. Had so much fun getting to spend some time with him and the SEC Saturday Night Crew a few weeks ago in Lexington. So talked a little bit about that, a little bit about everything. Um, his experience at Tennessee, that's right. That's something that we definitely talked about. So anyways, here is Tom Hart. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our dear friend, Tom Hart. Tom... We had to push this interview back about an hour, and we're recording this at 11 a.m. on Wednesday morning. I can only assume that's because you were still nursing the hangover from the Braves' Game 1 victory in the World Series, correct? It's not entirely untrue, um, and I may sound like I'm still doing that, but I have one of these terrible colds that's going around. No, we we have a new puppy in the house. Oh. And, um, We've learned, well, we learned this morning that um, you can't leave anything on the kitchen counter, be that uh, pizza 
leftover from last night, a, a little uh, piece of chocolate cake that the neighbors brought over, um, his beef jerky treats that, that were sealed in a plastic bag because in the, in the schedule overflow where kids are at school and my wife leaves the house and I'm, I'm not yet downstairs in the kitchen. Um, yeah, he, he had like a five course meal and left the, he would not be a very good crook. He left all the remnants on the floor. And so that, that turned into a thing today. Oh God. What kind of dog did you get? We got him from Atlanta lab rescue. So he's, He's got a lot of lab in him, and uh, he's got a lot of other stuff. So we're not quite sure exactly what uh, what our friend Winston is carrying around, except for uh, two slices of sausage, one of pepperoni, a chocolate cake, and beef jerky. <laughs> Winston, named after Jameis or named after the great character from the popular sitcom New Girl? I think both. I think both, actually. Although if this Winston ends up being a cop, we've got a real problem. True. Good point. Well, already on the way to st- with stealing food, so that's part of it, I guess, with Jameis. So you're uh, you're on the right track there if you're, for the namesake. If he has crab legs in his fur when he comes back around the corner, I'm going to be very concerned. <laughs> um, what's so? This is something that that I've, uh, I I don't want to get into a, a lot of different stuff with you um, as it relates to some of the experiences that you've had this year and talk about the the matchup that you're going to be at this weekend, but. I was kind of wondering about this. What's what's the team that you're most accused of liking? Because you can be a Braves homer in one sense, and I don't even know if you're full on Braves homer because you grew up a, car, a dirty Cardinals fan, right? Well, listen, I'm a mutt myself. Okay, my okay. my baseball background is complicated in the sense that I grew up a Royals fan, mm. but I grew up in Columbia, Missouri, where. Um, 90% of my friends were Cardinals fans and and I'm 2 hours from each city. So if I was going to a game, or I got invited to go to a game, more often than not it was going to a Cardinals game. All right. So I I wasn't going to say no to a free ticket to go to a big league game when I'm in elementary school or junior high, whatever it might be. So in Missouri, at least at the time being from Columbia, it was legal to have split allegiance, but I was I was a, oh, 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 my guy just showed up with a shoe. He just showed up with a shoe. Winston, that is not your shoe. You're a dog. You don't wear <laughs> shoes. Now I got to go up and lock all the closets. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Royals first, then Cardinals. And by the way, I'm, I'm not like a, my diehard, diehard is a weird word to use because once I move away and teams get bad, like, Gunther Cunningham took over the Chiefs. It's it's hard to go to the bar every Sunday and to pay money to watch a bad Chiefs team, right? So I blame Gunther Cunningham for, at the time, the loss of my Chiefs fandom. Um, and then I get into minor league baseball and start working for a number of different organizations, and one of which was the Cardinals. And we got an 18-year-old Yadier Molina on the team. And a working his way back, Rick and Keel on the team. And all these guys who were part of another nice Cardinals run. So then I got a little bit more, you know, more relationships, more into St. Louis. Then I worked for the Braves. So, yeah, there's 
and you can't help if you spend any time around guys like John Scherholz or Brian Snicker or Freddie Freeman to be huge fans of them as people in the program. So that is a that is a uh, a, a, a compilation of fandoms that's probably not fair and causing numerous listeners right now to either roll their eyes or throw their iPhone away from the treadmill that they're currently walking up. No, I think if there's a if there's a bandwagon to get on right now, it is the Braves bandwagon and not just for the reasons that you mentioned and somebody who actually collected a paycheck from the team. I, I think you're good there, but also because of the, the anti-Astros take of just wanting to root against the team who cheated and didn't necessarily have to face the proper wrath that they should have in 2020 because of COVID and couldn't have fans in the stands. So if there's a bandwagon to get on right now, like I think you're good, which is my way of saying I think you're totally fine if you're hungover right now. <laughs> I'm telling you, I have a cold. Mm-hmm. Cold. Okay. That's fine. Beers. That's fine. Cold beers. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. We can we can just leave it at that. Um, I, I will I will have a financial hangover if I end up spending money on World Series tickets. I did the math, and. Um, you know, other things got in the way, but I figured it was it would be cheaper for me uh, to get on a plane, fly to Houston, get a room at the Four Seasons, and go to Game Two tonight, than to spend the money I would need to spend to get in the ballpark Sunday night for Game Five, which is the only game I could make it to in Atlanta. the The demand is insane. The prices are through the roof. Um, so yeah, if if anybody wants to drop a couple off of my front porch i will take full use of those uh, for game oh, five. for sure yeah i think people are just giving away braves world series tickets at this point that's <laughs> that seems like a realistic expectation of you uh-huh i think so yeah i haven't gotten this far in life without having terribly unrealistic expectations i mean yeah. i knew at some point that i was going to be boarding a braves charter right behind chipper jones uh yeah and flying around the country with that team in his final season as a Hall of Famer. Yeah, that was realistic, but somehow made that happen. So, yeah, I think uh, I think Delta Club tickets landing on my front porch is a perfectly fair ask for Game 5 of the World Series. Is Chipper an LSU fan? Because I've seen him wear LSU stuff, but I also know, like, obviously being in the state of uh, and being around Georgia football probably a little bit once or twice. But, like, I, I saw him at an LSU tailgate. And I'm pretty like I'm pretty sure. Wait a minute. If I recall, I think it was 2019 SEC Championship that he was there. He was wearing like LSU stuff, and it was LSU Georgia, of course. And I actually saw you later on that day, ironically enough. But am I am I crazy for thinking is Chipper Jones an LSU guy? Um, no, he's a Florida guy. Oh, that's maybe, right. That's right. Yeah, maybe this was an anti-Georgia deal that he had going at that time. And I, by the mm. way, just. It, curious i just got another shoe dropped off at my feet uh, obviously our family has way too many shoes that's the problem it's not that the dog is a problem it's the shoes um yeah you know and what i tell you what what was fun just along that topic is there's a, a, a unique energy in a big league clubhouse when you get to late august september every year whether it's fantasy football drafts on the NFL side or college games starting in the games, you know, on Saturday afternoons, those are the games that are on in the clubhouse TVs and guys love it. And they talk about it and they bet on it and they talk trash about it because 
listen, most of these guys are from the South, right? I mean, the, the it's pretty clear compilation if you just go look at any random major league roster. There's uh, there's the Latin players, which m- might be, you know, up to half of any given roster. And then uh, of the American guys, so to speak, uh, maybe 50-50 high school, college. But of the college guys, you're talking like 85% of them played somewhere in the South, likely, especially if you're to include the state of Texas. So there's always big rooting interest in those uh, in those locker rooms in the clubhouse. In fact, years ago when Tebow came back to baseball, I had a very spirited conversation uh, in the Marlins locker room. Was it the Marlins at the time? Um, was Jeff Francoeur ever with the Marlins? Does that make sense? I, I just always anyway, assume he was every game with the Braves. Uh, no, he played with the Royals briefly, too, I want to say. Oh, you know, he played for like 17 teams. Um, now I've got to look this up to see exactly exactly where this would have been. Um, maybe the Mets. Anyway, I I just remember I was in the clubhouses. I wasn't working for the uh, – I wasn't working for the Braves at the time, but I was doing um, – MLB radio on ESPN and I was in the clubhouse and I was asking guys about, you know, Hey, can this Tebow guy make the team? And it turned into this very spirited conversation where Christian Yelich was claiming that he could shut down any NFL wide receiver over four snaps. He could come up with one stop inside the 10 yard line. (laughs) Like this is the discussion these guys have, right? I mean, there's, they're huge fans of, of sports in general. Um, so yeah, that was maybe, uh, an off the wall conversation, but the one that, that definitely happened. Gosh, Marlins, talking about Marlins your... 2016. That's what it was. Yeah. Don Mattingly was the manager and, uh, in the, in a corner of the, uh, of the clubhouse for a Marlins Mets game at city field, it turns into this conversation between Frank Core, uh, Yelich, and Giancarlo Stanton about who, and Chris Johnson was in on this too. Who could uh, who could stop an NFL wide receiver, and whether or not Tebow could could make it to the big leagues. So, those are the kind of conversations that are had daily. So, I, I love that kind of cross contamination. Yeah, G- Giancarlo. Yes, Christian Yelich. Hard no. The hardest of no's. That, that is never, ever happening. I don't even know what position you would play him at. You couldn't play him at receiver. He'd get demolished. You couldn't play him at defensive back. He doesn't have the speed to do that. Maybe the chase down stuff with what he can do in the outfield. But Giancarlo, you put him out there. Giancarlo could hang in the SEC. He's the only guy that probably I'll listen to that conversation. Maybe an Aaron Judge or something like that. Um, maybe a Luke Voigt, but I, other than that, I don't want to hear anybody say they can body up an NFL receiver or, or, or an SEC receiver, anybody like that. It was um, it was all I could do not to not, not you know to respectfully tell these professional <laughs> athletes who are being paid tens of millions of dollars a year that they weren't as good as they thought they were. But but yeah. I, I was there just for the entertainment fact. Right, I just took another pair of shoes away from my puppy, by the way. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so one of the things I saw a few weeks ago when I got to spend some time around your crew in Lexington, which was 
an absolute treat. Like jokes aside, it was it was such a such a rewarding experience to be able to kind of see the process, to be able to sit on the production meeting and and all that, and listen to you guys, the feed in the game, and I, I kept all that stuff out. I left all the the curse words and stuff like that, the the very off the I record kind of stuff out. I would share some of that. I, I mean, like seriously, I think I don't. I still am not entirely sure what you heard and if you heard all of the traffic. I heard uh, it all. Wonderful, Tom. by the way. I, I've I've thanked you for that off air, but I think fans, viewers would be. Um, I might, I might, I might someday record that. I think they would be fascinated with all the communication and conversation that happens while we're calling a game that they can't hear, like in between sentences, in between words, the voices that come through our headset. Um, were you surprised by that? I was, and I I had never listened to an in-game broadcast with the producer in the year. I have been in other situations to hear that, but to hear the way that you guys kind of went back and forth and didn't really stop talking between the breaks, I had to like mark in my notes what was on air and what was off air because there were a couple instances I can't remember what was the nickname that you gave Cole. It was like Buzz or something like that, like because he was a he was like a hornet. He's just everywhere, but like little little <laughs> stuff like that. Where I'm like, these guys don't know that like nobody else is listening to them, right? Like it's it sounds like they're just shooting the breeze, and it doesn't really make a difference if there are hundreds of thousands and millions of people listening to them at home, or they're just talking a couple of dudes just talking to each other through a headset. Jordan suggested this, um, so I'll give him full credit, but I think it's a wonderful idea and and could be monetized if you could take our off-air feed and put it on, I mean, it would have to be like Showtime, HBO, what, right? It'd have to be kind of adults only, the way we speak. Um, and maybe maybe this is too egotistical to think that for me to think that people would be interested, but there is Not so much more that happens behind the scenes. And I, I do think we're unique like that. I mean, I've been part of other crews where, you know, you go to commercial and you just stop talking until, until the you come back on the air. Um, but I, to me, that's what kind of keeps us cruising and, and keeps us rolling along. And, and you also flush out ideas, right? I mean, we spend most of our commercial breaks saying, Hey, what do we want to do next? And we cross off five or six things before we get to what we think is best for the viewer. So yeah. What was the most interesting thing you heard off air? Uh, you giving producer Bill Palladino a heart attack, not really a heart attack, but attempting to, I sort of, I, I winced for him when you said like, oh, hey, Bill, the teleprompter's down. Or when he's like, hey, three minutes to live. And you're like, then what? And these little moments where you try and loosen things up. And I, I because I'm not in it and I haven't fully processed all of what's going on, like Bill knows you're messing with him. Jordan and Cole know that you're messing with him. But you yep. always have to be that guy who's just out at the forefront. And I was like, wait a minute, is the teleprompter like really down? And it took me a second to process. Nope, nope, this is this is rehearsal stuff. This is just Tom being Tom. But nothing there was nothing scandalous to the point where I'm like, oh man, this is this is built for uh, a, an audience that I don't even know if they want would want it to get to, but everything that was said on there, I agree with you, and I agree with Jordan's comment that the pay-per-view service, if you could just you know put it on ESPN plus. That's that's the the avenue for it. Uh -huh. Put it on a subscription service. Get it on ESPN Plus. I don't care if it's still Disney. They can hear the words that you're saying. Everybody's heard these words at this at this point. 
I think it would be a gold mine. Well, one, one uh, point of clarification, there is no teleprompter when you're calling a game. So that's what made that line funny. Mm. Like that was, that, that's what, what I was going for. But my favorite, my favorite uh, mind trip that I put producers on is I take immense pride in finding a great story maybe that others haven't heard before. And sometimes they're frivolous and entertaining and sometimes they're serious and heartwarming, right? I mean, it just depends on, like, for example, um, my friends at Kentucky Sports Radio were talking about Mike Leach's time in Lexington when he was with How Mummy and he used to rollerblade around the neighborhood listening to a Sony Walkman. So last year before <laughs> the State-Kentucky game, I said, hey, man, did you have rollerblades when you lived in Lexington? And he gave us this great story and now we're going to, turn it into a specialty edit for the game Saturday night, right? Like nobody's written about, there's no long form athletic piece about Mike Leach rollerblading around Lexington, but we'll, we'll turn it into something. But more well, fun than yeah. that is when I find, yeah, when I find something heartwarming um, and unique and information that I've gotten and I share it and there's kind of a silence and the producers say, man, that was really good. And then I'll hit the talk back button and I'll say, I made half that shit up. <laughs> and, then, and then there's this there's this paralyzing fear that goes through the truck that's like, he just made that up? Like you can't make that up. What is he doing? And I think it goes through, you know, when when I hit the talk back button, pretty much the whole truck can hear it. It's not just in, in the producer's headset. It's usually on a speaker in front of him, too. So uh, I, I can envision the whole truck going, I can't believe he just did that. Before then, they snap back to reality and go, well, he, he wouldn't have made up, you know, this crazy heartwarming story. So you got to keep him on your toes. That's for sure. You couldn't have made up what happened in Knoxville uh, a couple weeks ago. The experience of seeing that in person is is one thing. To be in the stands and to see all the stuff raining, you know, raining whatever sort of mustard bottles, water bottles, moonshine, golf balls that were falling from the skies at Neyland. That, that, that's one thing to see it, but to have to actually break down what in the hell was going on in those moments. You guys were essentially on air for like 20 minutes and you've got Cole down there on the field. God bless his soul. I thought I was I was going to send him a text being like, hey, I was going to send him like a joking text of like report, like send me a text saying that you're alive right now. But then I thought, hey, if he's actually like getting hit by a golf ball, probably wouldn't be the best look on my part to be joking about it. But Cole's finding a vape pen down there or whatever. There's nothing that can prepare you for that moment. How, how, how did you process that? And what was maybe the, the best tidbit that didn't quite make it on air that you guys witnessed from that? Well, um, yeah, the, the 2014 infield fly rule could prepare you for that, uh, mm. which I was watching from a, a hotel bar in Philadelphia doing a Temple game the next day, which as random as it just sounded when it came out of my mouth. But um, – <laughs> Yeah, I, listen, people are all over the Tennessee fan base, and I get it. But what I saw that night, what I thought was just incredibly – now my dog's got something else in his mouth. Um, well, you know, what I saw was – what I thought was really cool 
like they, they've always made a public address announcement at Tennessee football games. Uh, There's a sponsor tie in for years. I don't know if they still do it, which was to promote recycling. And they said, you know, good sports <laughs> always recycle. And so for them to introduce this recycling plan late in the fourth quarter, which is basically just everybody throw your shit on the field and we'll pick it up for you, which I thought was groundbreaking, right? I mean, we could save the planet if we do this at every SEC stadium. That was ingenious. Uh, obviously joking. I, I don't – I was – I was um, – I was – sensitive to coming across like, and I think Joe Buck is great, um, by the way, but I was sensitive to coming across like Joe Buck after Randy Moss pantomime mooning the crowd in Green Bay, right? Um, I I don't like to be that announcer who's on his high horse. I don't like to judge fan bases. Um, I, I don't like, I don't think my opinion matters is the bottom line. But I thought it was stupid, and I, I eventually said that out loud. And when you're on the air for 20 minutes, and you've got to describe what's going on, and you know we're seeing it quicker than our cameras see it. Well, now the cheerleaders are leaving the field. Now the dance team is running off the field. The band is being forced out of the stands and into the tunnel to leave the field. And then they get this huge pump return, and they play Rocky Top over the speakers from the PA system. I mean, listen – it was stupid and and it was dangerous and we saw people get hit and i don't know i i thought it was outrageous and i've talked to otherwise sane people who are tennessee fans who've said yes yeah but yeah but like i don't care how bad the officiating is you, you don't do that right i mean you want to throw a golf ball or a water bottle or a whatever you have in your hands and and you think you can get it there from the 45th row you're not handing hooker okay you're probably going to hit somebody in the back of the head in row 12 and i'd be pretty pissed if i were a fan in row 12 and i got hit in the back of the head with a full water bottle so i don't really know what you're trying to accomplish there um i was i was sensitive to to kind of going that far during the broadcast. Um, and I thought the pictures could could share the ridiculousness more than anything that, that I would say. Um, but I just, I didn't, I don't know. As great as this, the SEC fan bases are, I, I just saw no reason for it to get that ugly. And, and spare me the, but Lane Kiffin left after one year. The majority of the people who were tossing their trash on the field we're in kindergarten when Lane Kiffin was there. Um, so it, it ruined what was, for most of the day, a great comeback by the Tennessee fan base because mm-hmm. we went to lunch on the Strip uh, about 1 o'clock when Jordan got into town for a 7.30 game. The place was on fire. And then golf cart from our uh, hotel to the to the stadium, the streets were already packed. The ball walk was like, throwback like it was 1998 you know so all of that stuff was awesome and they just you know they threw it all away by by being a bunch of jerks on a call by the way at the end of the game that was the right call so that's i i i started this this comment by saying i don't like to 
judge fan bases or be judgy, but um, <laughs> I just proved myself wrong over the last four and a half minutes. Um, <laughs> I I tell you what, the Joe Milton should be thankful, right? Because 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 if there wasn't a riot, the fan base would be even more all over him uh, based on that the the last play decision making. Um, oh my God! Even though unbelievable, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, really and- too bad. If Joe Milton had been throwing those those bottles of moonshine, the water bottles, they're not ending up in row 12 from row 40, all right? They're going out of the stadium. There's no way that he's leaving that, that, that shorter or hurting anybody in that in that sort of sense. I kind of, I was thinking about this. In, in one way, Cole was the perfect person to be down on the field because he handles chaos. He is professional. He understands everything that's going on. And he has the presence of mind to be able to like look for some of that stuff. But at the same time, I was kind of hoping that a field analyst in that moment when he says, hey, there is a vape pen on the field, and I don't know how much of this is, is you know, Cole doesn't drink, and like, Cole, Cole, you know, isn't necessarily the guy who's going to pick up a vape pen and take a drag of it, especially during the COVID era. Tom, answer this question for us, because Marler brought this up. Would you have been the guy to have taken the hit of the vape pen, or at least mimicked it, to get that that iconic image from that game? I, I guess... I guess I'm uh, I'm too old. I don't know. I guess I should, I'm just I'm too old. But uh, my interests don't converge with those uh, at this time in my life who are uh, not only have vape pens but throw them on the field. But I, isn't that kind of expensive to just be? I think so. Like yeah. a water bottle. You've already a water bottle is a water bottle, right? And how far can you really throw a vape pen? I mean, that's. I was very curious about all of that. Um, I mean, I was curious about a lot of other stuff too, but you know, I'm just like, what are we, what are we doing? And and, and not to stereotype, but really, how much are mom and dad paying if if you can afford to go buy the vape pen, use the vape pen, and then have it be a one time use and just discard it? Yeah. Um, you know, maybe we need to rein in the credit card spending for these for these college students. I don't know. Gen Z, I mean, just getting out of control in every way, shape, or form, seeing the vape pens on the field. I, I think that that, that kind of showed you, though, of what we're still capable of in the SEC because that felt like a game that was <laughs> disco demolition. Right? Like, it, it kind of feels, I don't want to say that we've been a little bit buttoned up, but Lane, Lane is buttoned up more so now than he was 10 years ago, obviously, and he still has fun, but he, he has so in his own unique kind of adult way. And it just kind of reminds you of what this league is capable of on a given Saturday night. Because my, my take away from this was like, look, I'm not like condoning and nobody cares what I have to think about Tennessee fans in that moment. But they're not the only fan base who would have been fired up and would have probably done some egregious things in, in that situation. But at the same time, it just kind of shows you like this league is nuts and you never really know what you're going to get. Has that changed at all? Like, hey, I need to, I need to be mentally prepared for, for anything. Or are you, you guys just always kind of seem like you're in control and seem like you're ready to go in case, you know what, hits the fan? It's the greatest soap opera in sports, right? I mean, that's the bottom line. There is always something happening in the SEC, whether it be on the field, off the field, in the boardrooms, with the donors, on the private planes, going to and from these games. So that's the, uh, you know, that's that's the entertainment value that's kind of through the roof. I, seriously, though, um, you know, from a broadcaster's perspective, 
you do have to be well-rounded enough to handle just about anything. Um, I called the Georgia game against Southern, uh, must have been seven years ago, uh, where the young man was paralyzed on a hit on a, on a, on kickoff coverage. Um, so you never know where a game is going to take you and what direction you have to take it. Um, and, and some of them are frivolous and can be fun, like a, you know, like a band leaving the field and others are a lot more serious when it comes to serious injury. Um, but yeah, you don't, you don't know where it's going to go. You don't know what's going to happen. I'm trying to think of, you know, there have been other instances where, and my guys in the booth, Greg Campbell is my stats guy, Chris Capo is my spotter, do a fantastic job of keeping me, they're kind of like my, my uh, in charge of my editorial content, um, in that they are not just a stat guy and a spotter. Like, they have eyes and ears on everything else that's happening in, um, in college football or in the sports world. I mean, uh, Chris is, is a baseball agent, so we're watching. <laughs> you know, we got the Braves game on on the side, and we're keeping track of uh, the other games that are happening and whether or not guys are having great games. I remember it last year when this was on a Saturday mid, we had, a, we had an early game Saturday. Bama was playing that night, and it, it's all confusing to me. But either Saban was – Either it came out that Saban was going to coach or wasn't going to coach that night. That was on a Saturday. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Um, was it? But was it, was, it the? It was so the Georgia game was that that Saturday night last year where we found out midweek that Saban had tested positive for COVID, and then he was going to need to have he was gonna need, needing to have negative tests like multiple negative tests in the days after that. And then we found out on Saturday that he was going to be able to coach in the Georgia game that night or the Iron Bowl right. when we found and, out that he had negative COVID tests. Um, it was a or positive COVID test. The, the Georgia game sounds sounds familiar to me, but but the information came from, I mean, a, a reputable source. But it, it was handed to me by Chris and Greg. Hey, Saban's coaching tonight, so we're able to share that information immediately and get it out there even before you know the studio cut in can happen or because this is this is the most important news in, in college football. And I've got two guys who played in the league, whether he's coaching or not, where we can have those big picture conversations about, you know, what, what the impact be on Alabama one way or the other, because obviously that's a, that's a huge game. So um, yeah, you never know where that news is going to come from, but it's, I'm lucky that I got a lot of people around me to help. It's pretty amazing watching the production meeting and seeing, and I don't care if this is a little bit of inside baseball. I think the average fan like doesn't fully process. I didn't even fully process that I could watch Jordan Cole go into a production meeting and hear a coach speak about X, Y, and Z. And I won't necessarily get into like the details of what was shared with them, but then to see Jordan and Cole each like spend 15 to 20 minutes talking about the points that were just brought up on this Zoom call and how it relates to the prep that they've already done for the game and then translate that into what it means for, all right, we're going to do graphics to this, we're going to do graphics to this, we need to make sure that we talk about this, if it gets out of hand, this is where we're going. I was blown away. I, I absolutely was. That's, that's something that I, I think probably doesn't get enough attention because if there's anybody out there that thinks Cole or Jordan doesn't know like what they're talking about from an analyst standpoint, they're just out of their mind. 
Yeah. No, I mean, I, sometimes I feel like they know too much, right? In the sense that um, the challenge for me, and and this is not their job, so it's not a challenge for them, but, but I look at it as my responsibility to say, okay, how do we then present that information? Bill Palladino, our producer, is ultimately in charge of how it gets shared on screen, but I think I have a pretty good feel for um, for football and for the knowledge of our viewership to say, hey, listen, if you're going to be talking about a double eagle blitz, you're going to have to say exactly what that is. You can't just say double eagle blitz. Or just, just remember, if you're talking about the A-gap, just throw in that's between the guard and center. Because, yeah, right. a lot of people know that, but we have a pretty wide viewership. Um, so it's, it's taking what they know and filtering it to a point of not only what's the best way to share it, but then how do, you, how do we turn that into a story arc, right, where we can present it, discuss it, follow it, grade it, right? If, if the, key for, um, but the key for Kentucky Saturday night against Mississippi State is to get the running game going early, and the importance of the running game, then tell me what those specifics are. What, what do they need to do? How involved does the quarterback need to be in the run game? Um, let's, let's lay it out. Let's lay out why it's important. Let's follow it. And as the game progresses, let's tell people whether or not it's happening because it, it's not just statistically what's happening. It's the nuance of the play calling and the execution um, where – where sometimes they may not see the results, but it's coming soon. They're, you know, hey, they're about they're going to break a big run here because of what Zach Arnett is doing with the secondary, for example. Just throwing out an example. So, yeah, it's and that's what those production meetings are. It's here are the ideas, and and they educate us on here's what's going to happen in this game. And it's it's mind blowing, Connor, how often those two are right about what's going to happen in a game. Um or what the pivot point is in a, in a specific game, and it turns out to be that. I'll give you a quick example. Two years ago, we were doing a, uh, we were doing a morning hit for SEC Nation. We are filming it on Friday afternoon. It was Tennessee at Kentucky, and we broke down the intricacies of, of the point-after team, right? We got Coles, a snapper, Jordan, Jordan's a holder. I'm a terrible kicker. Um, but we broke it down, and, and in a way that, you know, probably most viewers hadn't thought of it. Unless you were a snapper and a holder yourself, uh, the nuance of that unit working uh, cohesively. And sure enough, that night, Tennessee misses an extra point, and they lose the game based on a missed point after. And we knew it was going to be a close game. We knew Kentucky had the better kicking game. Now, we didn't know for sure Tennessee was going to miss a point after, but we knew Kentucky had the strength there, and that's what – that's what decided the game. So leaning on them to really show what they know and then finding a way to explain that in the simplest terms to the audience in a way that they could follow it as a story, that's what makes good television in the end. So for, for Saturday, um, the episode of The Office where Angela has to do customer service with Kelly and she, she pops in the headache medicine and goes, I don't have a headache, I'm just preparing. Is, is that you? <laughs> Basically, before you go to Starkville every time. I love Starkville. We haven't been oh, there. Oh, no, no disrespect. No disrespect. 
Um, well, well, no, full, but full disclosure, uh, you know, obviously I've been there for baseball. I've been there for basketball a lot. Uh, in fact, I, I left my rental car running for an entire basketball game uh, a couple years ago. Came out after the game. John Sunbold was impressed. The car was warm. I was impressed it was on and still had fuel. I said, Sonny, I, it's a push-button thing. I never turned the car off. It's been running since 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, but I haven't been there for football in at, at least four years, maybe five. I don't know if our crew has been there together. I don't know if Jordan has ever been there for football. So the, the, and we've had them multiple times, um, on the road. Maybe we had a home game last year, but we weren't there. I don't, I digress. Um, so to answer your question in a roundabout way, I do not have the healthy skepticism for the cowbells that maybe some do who have been there more recently, not to say I won't once I get there, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I love circle sh- though. I, I, we, we I have, have not we been, have towns that are circle to. star towns. I, I started this years ago, uh, when I was working for college sports television and we're going to all these random college towns and we had a great crew and, um, you know, it was easy to appreciate San Diego. Right, you go to San Diego, man. That's no brainer. Vegas for UNLV game, but uh, what I had to instill in our crew is that there's value in going to Greenville, North Carolina, and doing an ECU game because if you want to go out and get a meal and go have some pops afterwards, you don't have to worry about making sure you're in the. There's there's only one bar, right? There's only one place that's going to be hot that night. There's only one restaurant you really need to go to. So circle it, star it. This is the perfect time to get to. No distractions. Keep it simple. We know dinner. We want to go have a drink afterwards. We know where the spot is, and there's no second guessing. I I find value in that, Connor. The concierge of the SEC Saturday Night Crew, Tom Hart. That is um, looking forward to to hearing you on the call. Uh, you know, I know you guys usually do your production meetings with coordinators and whatnot. Do you want to just do the Kentucky one now, and I can just run through our offensive game plan for Saturday? Yeah, yeah. What do you got? What do you got, Coach Cohen? I think we're going to run C-Rod a lot. I think we're going to try and take advantage of some Wandell Robinson in the slot, not necessarily lined up on Emerson and Forbes. They're going to be lined up out wide. So I think I, I like a lot of what we got going. No, it's um, – you guys will – I'm sure you guys will have no shortage of things. Okay, so – it, it, it was one of those things that I was not expecting. And then, you know, uh, I figured we'd take the picture together, we do the whole thing, and then, all right, people would see the differences, not really going to happen. And then it has only taken off since then. It is it has a, a life of its own. But basically, it's just, I, I just, that was my way of saying, I want you to remember that when you're talking to him this week, that you might just be talking to me. So just treat it like that. That's understandable. Yeah, we. I get it. <laughs> I want. I think, I think Liam Cohen should. I think Liam Cohen should understand that that uh, he looks like you, not the other way around. Mm. I couldn't agree more. And the fact that he is older than me is totally irrelevant. Don't care. He's copying my look totally at this point. You know, he's, he he just got the beard like last year. I've had the beard for a solid five six now. So yeah, I I agree. We are. He he is copying me for sure. Um, Tom, this has been great. As always, really appreciate the time. Looking forward to you guys being on the call Saturday night in Stark Vegas. Uh, it'll be fun. We'll do this again soon, man. Can you, uh, meanwhile, um, 
send me those Braves tickets or whoever's listening, send me those Brave tickets. I can only go Sunday because of my work schedule. And um, either either teach me how to keep my dog from bringing shoes or just send me a bunch of old shoes, right? Like I will put a pile of shoes in the corner and maybe Tennessee fans can throw their shoes at me next time I'm at Neyland. I'll put a pile of shoes in the corner. He can chew those up all he wants. Just like stay away from the shoes we actually wear. Or just teach Winston how to, how to steal some crab legs. We're going to Publix right now. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Connor. We're talking adult Halloween in this week's Figuring It Out. Great suggestion from Will because, after all, it is Halloween weekend. Just so we're clear, I don't have a ton of experience in adult Halloween because I think that's different than college Halloween. Right. That... Plenty of experience. No, we're not. We're not lacking there. Dwight Schrute one year, three hole punch gym. I had George Bush with my brother as he was my Secret Service guy back in the day. That's tight. Which, like, I had a mask from fifth grade and I threw on a suit, American flag pin. That was pretty easy yeah. to be able to to replicate. But adult Halloween. This is going to sound sad. I have never been to an adult costume party, and I've been invited to a couple. But I've had football games that I've been covering. And I haven't been able to, it, you know, Saturday night in the fall. Yeah. Sorry, my time's going to be going to be occupied. So, Will, I defer to you. Adult Halloween is it underrated, overrated, or properly rated? It really depends on your situation. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so obviously there are people with kids, and like that's the one you know hole in our game as far as like growing up is that or, or being adults is that you know neither of us have kids, and like we can't really speak to that part of it. I'd say you know I'm in a neighborhood right now. I've talked a lot about my neighborhood. I absolutely love them. They're super cool. Um, if you have if you have like kids and stuff that I think is the best Halloween when you get like the whole family costume mm. going on you're like the mom the dad you're the Incredibles or something I think that's like a tier Halloween I think that college Halloween like you said probably second place a little bit less wholesome probably a little bit more you know, a little bit more time spent a little bit more debauchery and then I'd probably say well I guess kid Halloween would still be third and then yeah so maybe adult Halloween is the worst Halloween it's not bad necessarily but if you compare it to the other Halloween where it's like if you're a kid you get to be Spider-Man and like do this all the time do the Spider-Man gesture since y'all can't see me and and just pretend to beat up bad guys all day when you're an adult it's like I feel like you're always threading the needle between like I want to be edgy I don't want to be lame like that's the big thing is like you don't want to be lame mm. but at the yep. same time you don't want to be too edgy like you don't want to be the dude who's going as like Thor you don't want to be like you know pecks out or anything especially if you're built like me and like so you gotta like really like thread that line of like gotta be a little bit edgy gotta still be like have something like aware in the sunlight or whatever and then you know you don't want like so if you're a professional right like you don't want a, a picture of you in a costume to get out and have your boss see it and be like this guy, he, he thinks he's a junior partner. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I, actually, I think it's kind of overrated the more I think of it. It's weird. It's such a yo-yo holiday, and I don't think that there's any holiday that is that yo-yos as much as Halloween does because from the time that you can walk at about till till probably like what age 12, it's it's everything, right? right? And then you're, you're too cool for it until you get to college. Mm -hmm. For like six years, you're you're too cool for it. And then it's great for four years. And then depending on your post-college situation, it kind of comes and goes. Like if you have kids, it comes back, obviously. Right. If not, it's basically like whether you are participating in some sort of Halloween festivities. But for us, you know, I lived in apartments up until a year ago, until we got our house here. 
And never in those eight years did I have someone come to my door for trick-or-treating. Like if I wasn't actively seeking some sort of pumpkin carving or going to a Halloween party or something like that, then I would have never even really like had any sort of like, oh, it's Halloween, cool, great. But this is the first year that we've had a house. So we're like, we're definitely gonna load up on the best candy. We wanna get the reputation for having the best candy in the neighborhood, who wouldn't? But my question to you, would it be weird if we crushed a few adult beverages while doing that? Oh, you got to, dude. Last year, last year was our first in the neighborhood and it was COVID Halloween too. It's like, I feel like no holiday got weird like Halloween did for COVID because it's not like Thanksgiving or Christmas where like you're with your family and you kind of are like, all right, like this value proposition makes sense. It's like last year Halloween was so awkward, but I mean, whatever, like I said, our neighborhood's great. And so what we did was we had, uh, did you ever meet Betty the Blind Dog? I showed you Betty the Blind Dog, right? I don't think so. This does not sound familiar. So Betty the Blind Dog was Brittany's dog. It was an adult poodle. She has since passed away, but she was the sweetest little dog. She was blind and just very senior citizenly. Brittany rescued her. She had one tooth. Anyway, that was Betty. So me and Brittany walked around in our costumes and we were a family of sea creatures. So like I was a shark, Brittany was a mermaid, and Betty was an octopus. And we put her in a little uh, <laughs> in a little uh, uh, wagon and we were walking around drinking like some boat drinks and just like waving at all of our neighbors and like doing like our little, you know what I'm saying? Like they... they like since it was COVID, people had their little station set up. But there were people that were like the cheerleaders from SNL, and they were doing like a cheer. So yeah, like I think that's about what we're gonna do is like kind of just drink and walk around our neighborhood and say hi to some people, and then prepare for the kids. You know, I like that. That's a good way to do it. That's kind of the the best of both worlds. You're not taking it too seriously. You're not going above and beyond with some ridiculous costume. And that's that's the other thing too. There there probably gets a certain point as an adult where if you're putting this costume together, you're like. How much is this really worth it? Right. Aaron Rodgers said that he's been growing out his hair for a Halloween costume for like months. Aaron Rodgers, what are, what are you doing, man? What are, what are, what are you doing here? I, I'm pretty sure that you can go to Halloween and you're going to be the star attraction no matter what. And nobody's going to look at Aaron Rodgers at a Halloween party and be like, oh my God. Well, Connor, Can't Aaron Rodgers didn't dress up. As a Bears fan, would you like him spending more time on football? Because I feel like it's the best news you could hear. That he's doing something outside of football. <laughs> you say it like it matters. It doesn't. It just doesn't. If you can hear the disdain in my voice, I don't need to explain that. The future is bright. But anyway. That's a theme in the world, man. Come on. Sure. Sure. Totally is. Took to the Facebook group for takes on adult Halloween. Best costumes, rituals, alcohol versus candy. Why not both? Right. Someone, someone in the Facebook group said that. I don't know why I didn't think of that. Duh, obviously. I was more probably, I, I phrased it incorrectly. I should have said alcohol versus candy, like which one is better. Right. And I think there's a real debate there. Um, that goes with that. Before we go, go into the Facebook group, Will, why don't you answer that question? Alcohol or candy, which one is better? Oh, man, just overall? I'd probably... Overall. <sighs> There's no good answer here because I'm chubby, but the other answer would make me sound like an alcoholic. I still, like, if I had to, if I had to only have one, <laughs> I, I'd probably have alcohol, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, you got to get rid of one of them. Yeah, the oh, dude, life. I'm taking I, alcohol all day, yeah. Because you can have sweet yeah, alcohol. I, if you're like me and you like a little bit of a little bit of a girly drink going, get you a little bit of a punch situation, it's close enough to candy. Lawrence will be making these gimlets. They are delicious. Not exactly the type of thing that I'd probably go to a bar and order, but we just got a we just got a lime tree in our in our backyard that's gonna be planted. Got a lime tree and an avocado tree. So the yield, I get to talk about the yield now also. <laughs> um, and we're just gonna we're be able to make cocktails at will with having all of those things just falling constantly. But oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I can give up candy. I couldn't alcohol for the rest of my life. That'd be really, really tough. All right. 
Drew Page. Drew says, best Halloween costume I ever had was me as a groom marrying my wife last year on Halloween. Was also the only day I couldn't wear sweatpants. <laughs> That's one way to dress up. Um, marrying your significant other on a holiday is maybe, well, it depends on the holiday. If you're doing, if you're doing Christmas, you're, you're asking for it to get overshadowed for the rest of time. And all these Hallmark movies that have the couple getting married on Christmas, that is so dumb. You are asking people to forget about your anniversary for the rest of time. And either way, I would kind of feel bad. People celebrating Christmas with their family being like, oh, hey, they didn't text me. Happy anniversary or something like that. That's just kind of weird. Anyways. Right. No, that's, I, no, that's actually a great point. Yeah. Halloween's better, though, than Christmas. Mm -hmm. So I don't mean to crap on you, Drew Page. Uh, Chris Milan says, well, I, I couldn't figure out what exactly Chris Milan's costume was. He said this was a hit with some of the older crowd. This is some bad radio right now. But he's got some American flag pants. He's got a bandana. He's got a black polo. It's from Roadhouse? Uh, hold on. Um, I need to pull that up. I, I feel like I saw it and realized what it was at the time. I'm blanking on what this was. Chris said it would be a hit. It was a hit with the older crowd. I guess we are too young for this crowd. But it's, I mean... Oh, it, it looks wait, very is that old boy from Napoleon Dynamite? No, 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 no. I think that he was covering this dude. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's from like Roadhouse. I definitely get like 80s action movies vibes. Let's assume it's that. Let's assume it's that. <laughs> that is a little bit tougher for the, for the younger generation, but still uh, a costume that I'm, I'm sure worked when you, you go from house to house and people are like, oh, you know, you're talking to parents and whatnot. Um, this one from Derek Walden. Derek said... I'm not usually for couples costumes, but I'm married and it doesn't matter what I'm for and what I'm not for. Hmm. So this year is probably Rip and Beth from Yellowstone. I haven't gotten into Willis, to Yellowstone yet. Mm -hmm. Have you? No, no, I am not. It's, it's like on the list. I've heard good things about it. I have too as well. I've never done the couples costume. Um, Lauren and I have always kind of talked about if like what we would do if we had to. We talked about um, League of Their Own. Um, the uh, what's what's her name? Why am I blanking on the main character? Um, it's Julia Davis, the catcher, mm -hmm. and Tom Hanks. Yeah, even though they're not like the couple in that movie. Hey, like, that's that Halloween, man! You can make it. anybody the couple. You could do a Pam that's and true. Have Pam and Dwight if you wanted to. Oh, <laughs> I like that. I've never played around with the different potential office couples. Kelly and Ryan would be a great one if you can pull that off. But just have some um, fake cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> Jan and Michael would be excellent. I'd be Bob Vance and Phyllis. I will say I'm this surprised too. Surprised all the office costumes. Never had that one. I will say this too to the to the uh, not wearing sweatpants crowd. Let me uh, tell you this, man. Big life hack is get you like a onesie type situation. Like Britney's being Pikachu this year. Like I said, I was a shark last year. You could really just you know get your sweatpants on under that or get like some leisure wear. And you're in a costume and everybody else, but you're super comfy. You're in there just dancing and you're really just wearing a snuggie. That's a key, key thing as you get older. Mm -hmm. Comfort, if you're going to be walking around in that or if you're going to be in it for multiple hours, you can't wear something that you're going to be sweating head to toe. In. Yep. Some of these mascot costumes, no, 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 no. Those people get paid to do that. Yep. You don't have to subject yourself to that type of life unless you choose to. <laughs> and you're right. The sweatpants the, the sweatpants move is, is the smartest way to go. Do you have a costume pretty much every year, or has that been like a, since you've been in a relationship type thing? Um, honestly, as you say, it's probably more of a relationship type thing. This year, I'm going to be Marshmallow, the DJ. Um, 
he does EDM music. <laughs> I mm. see the, the stare coming through. And then also, like I said, we're going to be Ash Ketchum and Pikachu. So that's one thing too. It's like you almost want to have your family-friendly costume and then you're like going out costume. But yeah, I, I, Brittany's a big Halloween person. Love it, love it. Chad McKee says, best adult costume. I went as Andy Reid, complete with a headset and a Waffle House menu as my play card. Oh, let's go. Uh, oh, let's go. That is awesome. And if you want to do the twenty the the COVID thing, how Andy Reid had like the he had the shield on that he would use for his pass. Yeah, was so funny to look at. Uh, that'd be that'd be excellent. Uh, let's see. No, no, wait, 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 uh, no, hold on. Let's park there for a second. You said, did you just go to Waffle House and just five finger discount a menu right quick, or did you like get on Amazon and type in Waffle House menu? Either way, I respect the heck out of it. But having a Waffle House menu is like the best part of that costume. That's awesome. That is fantastic too. That's a, that's a really good point. And I'm guessing that you that you definitely stole that because then you'd have to do the lamination right. and all that, and it doesn't make sense unless it's laminated, right? right. Like that's the key thing that you need to sell that point. And Andy Reid could very well be looking at a Waffle House menu while calling plays, so it's not totally conceivable. I like that. That's really good. He said. Chad also says. Uh, for couples, it depends on the idea. And then he said, for 20 plus years, we have a, a big throwdown in RV City. The Friday night before the game, alcohol or candy, he says, both hard candy in moonshine. Ooh. Oh, both, comma, hard candy in moonshine. Haven't, haven't done that one before. feel like I'm missing out now. Access to moonshine really is like the thing I miss out about Alabama, dude. I knew like four or five people in Alabama that made moonshine, and I just don't know any here. So... It seems like a, yeah, that seems like a Emory Picker type of situation. I need to, I bet he has moonshine. I need to hit him up. That does. Speaking of Emory, let's go to his. Emory says, Halloween is typically the weekend of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. With that being said, uh, I, I used to put on the costume of not being a ball of nerves. So Emory just goes as a basic Georgia fan is what he is saying, essentially. Um, you gotta go, dude. Somebody needs to go. That's like the one. If you have a rivalry weekend this weekend, that's where you can wear, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I've always, honestly, dude, honestly, I've always wanted to dress up for a game, but I don't want to be the guy who's, like, out of place. But if you're, dude, if it's Halloween, you could go, like, Georgia. What is it? Like, the dude you talk to with, like, the football pads and the spikes. You could go as Ugga. You could literally do whatever Spice you want. That, I mean, to be fair, if you go to the game, it's in Jacksonville, so that sounds like a bad idea to be Ugga. But actually, having an important game this weekend would be awesome because you could go as, like, you know what I'm saying, blind Dan Mullen. You could go as, like, Steve Spurrier on a, at, at a Wendy's or whatever. You could go, like, you could have a football-themed costume and kill it and not have to go to a party. Just get drunk in the sun. That's not a bad way to do it. I bet we'll get a lot of those shots during the game yeah. of fans in very ridiculous costumes one way or the other. Uh, maybe maybe Florida fan, some Florida fans will do that instead of wearing some Florida gear. Not to say that their fan support is, is waning at this moment, but, eh, you know, if there's every year to do it, maybe it's this year. Uh, Crying let's see. Tim we'll Tebow. Crying more. Tim Tebow would be legendary. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Do you, do you have the, the teardrop tattoo or do you get like water, like some sort of uh, water that you like tape on to, to your eye or, or something like that? Like, well, how would you, do you simulate the crime? I'd, I'd probably do some type of like a, like a, like a, like a sticky, like a syrup type of thing. I get the eye black and then I'd make sure it looked like it was running. And then, yeah, I feel mm -hmm. like that would be, that would be an A1, like Florida, Georgia uh, costume. That, that would be very good. That would be very good. You just need the Tebow jersey, um, maybe maybe something to make yourself look a little bit bulked up. Right. We're not believing Some that steroids. somebody who's 
five oh. eight a buck seventy. Yeah, some steroids, <laughs> whatever you gotta do. <laughs> Just sell the costume at all costs. Mary Haygood says, one of my employees came dressed as Steve Bartman to the office for Halloween. It was amazing. The sweatshirt, the old school headphones, the Cubs hat definitely won the contest that year. Mary, I don't know why you said this to hurt me, but you did. Whenever I see a Bartman costume, because it's easy, it's not hard. It's really not. I mean, you throw on the turtleneck, the sweatshirt, it is a four-piece costume and you've got it. Yep. That's it. The, the Cubs hat, the Walkman, the turtleneck, the sweatshirt, <laughs> that is it. You don't need a glove. You don't need anything else. You can wear whatever pants you want. We didn't see Steve Bartman's pants. You know what we saw? We saw Steve Bartman constantly for the last 18 years every Halloween. And everybody's saying, oh, you know, that was such a funny moment. What a character. Yeah. If Moises Alou can just catch that ball in the stands, or you know what? Maybe he just accepts the fact that he doesn't catch that ball in the stands. Because in my entire life watching Cubs games, nobody has ever reached over the left side railing in left field and caught that ball. So I don't know why Moises Alou didn't need to freak out. <laughs> That's what you guys need to go through you that and, without You and Lauren need to go as... Bartman and Angry Connor. <laughs> or Bartman and Moises Alou, and you can just look at her and be shocked for like three hours during a party. What are you doing here? Pain. Much pain. Uh, let's go. Uh, Jeremy Fisher says, best costumes for this year are Ted Lasso and uh, Guy from, from, uh, from Free. Yeah, the, the guy from Free is what he's saying. Man, why which, didn't I think of Ted Lasso? Oh, that's so good. That's going to be so common, though. Yeah. That's going to be every... In the same way last year was all Tiger King. Yeah. Ted Lasso is going to be in different contexts, of course, but that'll be that'll be done a lot, a whole lot. Um, we'll end with this one from my aunt. <laughs> so my, aunt's, my, aunt, um, my aunt got married, and uh, her last name changed to Kruger. Naturally, Freddy Kruger. Um, my uncle is dressed up as Freddy Krueger. His name is not Freddy. His name is Brad. But the Freddy Krueger mask looks very terrifying. Got the cowboy hat. Got the, got the arm there reached over. If anybody can see the picture in the center. Oh, of that's podcast, tight. Group. Yeah. And when your last name is Krueger, you got to do it once. At least once. It's just set up right there for you. Just get the mask. That's all you got to do. Yeah, that's... Uh, I, I'm, I'm not a big scary movie guy. I'm not going to be the person that watches scary movies over the weekend or anything like that. I'll be watching football, all right? That's, that's what I'll be doing with my time. Yeah. Oh, shout out. Will, Somebody, are you a scary movie fan? Someone literally just posted this right like five minutes ago. It looks like uh, Jonathan Mason. Oh, wow. Yeah, they, these guys go all out. I definitely want to acknowledge this. Yeah, it says they went as uh, Tim Burton characters. Uh, and there's a video and a photo. This is like among the best costumes in here. Definitely like if, go, to the, go to the Facebook group and check out like their Tim Burton costumes. Because, man, these are... These are phenomenal. That looks like, yeah, it looks like some makeup and like numerous layers. Like you guys crushed that. To when you're putting on makeup for, for a Halloween costume, that's when you know you're in. You're you're dedicated, you're going you're you're going for it. Yeah. You're trying to win a contest, you're doing something like that. Oh man, this is really good. Really, really good. Y'all got that one right oh in at the gosh. buzzer. That is like among my favorite in there. Great, great job, y'all. Holy cow. And where do you get that suit? Yeah, you could probably get that suit from a costume store, but yeah, it's the yeah, makeup yeah. that takes all the time, I would think. Very, very well done. Um, hope everybody has a safe, enjoyable Halloween weekend. Hopefully, uh, Georgia fans or Florida fans, whichever fan base experiences inevitable sorrow on Saturday because that loss just 
hurts a little bit more. Hopefully y'all are doing all right and thinking of some good thoughts. If you have not, leave us a five-star review, uh, subscribe, go subscribe to our newsletter, go subscribe to College Football Uncensored, go subscribe to Saturday Lives Forever, wherever you get your podcast. New episode with Maurice Claret is out. The former Ohio State running back, Matt Hayes, does such a great job with those. Join the Facebook group, hear your name, Red On Air with Figuring It Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.